you glad for the day we trusted him? Amen. If you've not yet trusted him, just hang around. He's going to prove himself real to you. Marietta has a very encouraging word, and I asked her to bring it right now. Good morning. During the women's conference, there was a song that we sang that said, I want to know how wide, how deep, how high is your love, God's love for us. And I asked God, show me that, because a lot of that is way over what we can even begin to comprehend. And the picture that he gave me was there are 60 minutes in every hour and 1,440 minutes in a 24-hour period. And if each minute represents one piece of paper, this stack is more than what would be in a whole day, in a 24-hour period. And if one piece of paper for everything that you did or didn't do, for every sin that you, I committed or you committed for your life was written on that one sheet of paper for each minute, I'm not going to even take into account that you have to sleep sometime. The stack would be about six inches for a day, a little less than six inches, not counting the wrapping around the paper. And in a 24-hour period, or in a one-year period, that stack would end up being 0.031 miles. In 20 years, 0.63 miles, a little more than half. In 40 years, one and a quarter miles. In 60 years, almost two miles. In 80 years, two and a half miles. And in 100 years, 3.2 miles. If we took that paper and laid it end to end, stacked it up, that's how big, how long, everything that you've done, everything that the devil's brought to you and told you you did wrong, all your unworthiness, all the things that you feel disqualify you from the righteousness that Christ gave us. Some of us do that to ourselves. Some of us receive it from other people. And some of us think it about others, the things that disqualify us or them. And I'm here to tell you that some of us need to understand that God is bigger than the three and a half mile, the 3.2 miles. Do you know that um, the Mount Ararat, where the mountains of Ararat, where the Bible tells us that the ark finally hit some ground, is taller than that that 3.2 miles. And the deepest part of the Pacific Ocean is about 30,000 feet, way deeper than that 3.2 miles. And the widest part of the Mississippi is almost four miles. And some of us don't think God can get to Grumps, which is 3.2 miles from this church. And you know, God can bridge that. We need to realize that God can go no matter what you've done, 
or failed to do, no, no matter what people have said about you or you've thought about yourself, God is bigger than all of that. His love is wider, deeper, taller. shall separate us from the love of God who can bring charges against God's elect that they wrote a full page of charges for every minute of your life from your conception to your death at a hundred years and wouldn't make it to Kentucky Fried Chicken that's how much he loves us he loves us way more than that that's how bad we can be we're not minimizing sin we're actually maximizing it Show us just how much God loves us. His love is so wide that He removes our transgressions from us as far as the east is from the west. You can't measure that. It just keeps on going. Aren't you glad it wasn't as far as the north is from the south? His love is so long that it begins from the beginning of the world, the foundation of the world, and continues through the ages to come. His love is so deep, it begins at the throne and goes all the way down to the lowest part of the earth where the Son of God became a servant and died the death of a criminal and went into the ground and even into Hades for you and I. That's pretty deep. And His love is so high that He rose up from Hades and has ascended all the way back to the throne and received a name that is above, higher than any other name. That's pretty high. Compared to our sin, <laughs> He has nailed the handwriting of ordinances that were against us. I feel like somebody here today, before you leave, you need to just hold this to your chest. This is the maximum amount of records that could be written against you for a day of sinning. This is nothing compared to one drop of the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Lord, I'm amazed I
Bible says that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. He gave Him. Allowed Him to die for our sins. So that whoever would believe in Him would not have to perish, but could receive eternal life. It begins by believing that God so loved you that He gave His Son for you, that His Son died for your sins, that the worst thing you could have ever done that would be worthy of death, He took on that unworthiness or that worthiness upon us so that we could receive His worthiness of life. He took it upon Himself so that His life could come upon us. The fine has been paid. The debt has been canceled. We've been redeemed. That's wide love. That's deep love. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here that is struggling with receiving your forgiveness, I pray, Lord, that they would receive it. That today, through this word that you gave Marietta, Lord, that they would grasp the concept of charges formally be written up against us and how it's nothing compared to your love. Help us, Lord, to receive your love. And I pray, Lord, for those of us that struggle with unforgiveness, that we would see that all the sins that have ever been committed against us would not begin to equate your love. Help us, Lord, to walk in forgiveness, free of bitterness, Lord, free of fear, bold to walk before you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. We show our appreciation, our praise to for leading us today in Revelation of God. of hope, a look beyond ourselves, a tiny glimpse into another's life, one of suffering and tragedy where hope ends strife, a simple little shoebox to a dying child in need around the world, across a country overseas. One gift can touch the life of a child, one prayer can bring hope, one kind word spoken can help a family learn to cope. A shoebox filled with God's love to bring a smile to the crying, comfort to the hurting, and hope to the dying. To make an impact, each plays a part. For God's glory, a little hope could change a heart. You turn to 1 Corinthians 13 yet? We're going to do the love test. I've done this before, but it's my favorite thing to do, and I just love it. It's where to determine or how to determine where you are in your love walk. Our guest speaker last Sunday I don't think was familiar with what we've been on. It was communicated to us that God is going to root us and ground us in unconditional love. And it's like, yes, that's where we're going. Going to be rooted and grounded in unconditional love. Who knows that in this world we've been conditioned by conditional love. If you behave, son, then I'll love you. If you behave, daughter, then I'll grant you my love. Until then, you are on probation. Until then, you're going to live in insecurity, wondering when the shoe's going to fall. The way you take the love test is you read 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8, and then you go back and read it again and replace the word love with your name. And to the degree where it begins to sound insane or extremely false or like a giant lie, you just located yourself where you are on your love walk. 
Love suffers long. We spoke on that. Love is patient. Love is kind. So in taking this test, you'd say, Alan or Billy Bob suffers long, and Billy Bob is kind. You replace the word love with your name everywhere the word love is or everywhere the word love is inferred. We've spoken on these two subjects, and we'll come back to it right quick. Love does not envy. We're going to speak on that today. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely. Oops, I better stop right there. Ooh, the meter's just pegging. Does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil. Wow, we're away in the lying zone. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And of course, love never fails. So where are you at on that thing? No room for condemnation, just room for being real. And saying, okay, Lord, I need your help. And over the next few weeks, it's our desire that we would grow not only in our understanding of what love really is as we define it each Sunday, but also we hope that we are inspired to, as we learn how to apply the truths of Scripture and learn how to walk in love more effectively. So, so far we've spoken on love is patient or love suffers long and love is kind. These two things kind of go hand in hand. I kind of see patience as a defensive weapon and kindness as an offensive weapon. In football, the offensive line is kindness and the defensive line is patience. Patience comes into importance when you face those things that you weren't expecting. Inconvenience of some sort, a disappointment, a goal isn't met or whatever. That's where you have to begin to exercise patience. And if it's true love, agape love, that's the Greek word here that is used to define the word love, and it's a word that God says he is, according to 1 John's revelation. He is love or he is agape love. That is sacrificial, unconditional, and unselfish love. And it suffers long. It is patient. It is kind. Kindness doesn't wait for something unexpected to happen. Kindness looks for a place to express itself. It looks for a need with which to extend patience. So kindness isn't like the defensive line waiting for an opponent to come. Kindness is the offensive line reaching out, wanting to score. And today we're going to speak on love does not envy. The series is called Love Is. Love is envy free. Love does not envy. The point for us in looking at this love test is are we Envy-free. Am I envy-free? Are you envy-free? Now, oftentimes, 1 Corinthians 13, when we read it, it's often preached in a series on marriage. And no husband or wife in their right mind would be envious of their spouse. You would be excited because when your spouse is blessed, you're blessed, right? 1 Corinthians 13 is talking about the body of Christ. Christ's body in the earth. So it includes marriage, but it's much more than that. It's the people of God. And so 
we should never be envious of one another. And so today isn't going to be a pick-yourself-up-by-your-own-bootstrap sermon, shame on you if you ever have envy in your heart, but I hope it's going to be a day where the lights come on and we, when we are tempted to be envious, we will remember what let it in the door. Envy is an insidious sin. I mean, it's the sin that crucified Jesus. They brought up charges against them. Pilate knew why, because of the envy that was in their heart, the Bible says. Envy is what caused Cain to kill Abel, the first act of murder in the Bible. And God visited Cain and says, Cain, sin lies at the door of your heart, and you need to rule over it. What was that sin at the door of his heart? Envy. And so when you feel it, green eyes creeping up on you, trying to get a grip in your heart, go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, what needless pain we bear because we don't carry everything to the Lord in prayer. Go to the Lord in prayer and get a handle on that thing because envy is the root of so many sins in the world and in the church. Envy is the most common problem that nobody admits to having. This is embarrassing. We have a promise that there is no sin, no temptation that's taken us, but that which is common to man. And God is able, with the temptation, to make a way of escape for us. And, of course, that escape is Jesus himself. Love is envy-free. The middle part of verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 13 says, Love does not envy. The basic Bible English translation says, Love has no envy. The literal translation says, love is not envious. The Darby translation says, love is not emulous of others. The word emulous means to be eager to rival someone or something. Related to the word emulous is the word emulate, someone you want to imitate. Seeking to match or rival another's achievement. Motivated by rivalry or competition or imitation. Love does not have that. Love cheers on people to victory. It doesn't try to hold them back and keep them in their place. The word envy means to want what someone else has, to be resentful or unhappy, feeling of wanting someone else's success, good fortune, qualities, or possessions, to desire something possessed by someone else. It's different from the word jealousy. Jealousy deals with the things that is yours, that you are threatened, that you're going to lose, Envy deals with that which belongs to someone else that no doubt can relate to jealousy because you feel like it may impact your position in life or your place in other people's eyes or whatever. But basically it deals with something that's none of our business, really. It's God's blessing generally in someone else's life. I love the 1828 Webster's Dictionary. It says the word envy is uneasiness, mortification, or discontent at the sight of superior excellence, reputation, or happiness enjoyed by another. It means to fret or grieve oneself at the real or supposed superiority of another, or to grudge. Envy is a noun, and it's a verb. As a noun, the synonyms of envy can mean backbiting. If you're envying someone, you're probably backbiting them. It means coveting, covetousness, to grudge or begrudge. It means ill will. Malice, maliciousness, opposition, prejudice, resentfulness, and resentment. 
the antonyms of envy are not what you normally think of, but if you, you have to think of it for a while to see this. An antonym is that which isn't similar, but the opposite of what the word envy is. The opposite of envy is comfort, confidence, contentedness, and a Facebook friend added the word satisfied. Only Jesus can satisfy your soul. The person you're tempted to envy has trials you don't know of. You know, maybe they have more stuff than you. They've got more to be a steward over. And when we're faithful in that which is little, the Lord will make us faithful over much. Become satisfied in Jesus the things he blessed you with, and envy will not get its foothold. As a verb, it means to begrudge or to covet, to crave, to have hard feelings, to resent, to yearn, to turn green. With envy. I discovered the visual thesaurus the other day. I love this. They map out words. Envy is like a crossroads. You can choose to admire or look up to someone or envy them and begrudge them and move on from envy into becoming that green-eyed monster. It's related to the Latin word invideo. Can we say invideo? We see the word video in there, which means to see. We all know about video. But invideo means to see against or to look with enmity. To see against or to look with enmity. Before we dig into that a little bit, we know that when we're envying someone, we're having a harsh view of someone, right? A real key of overcoming envy is to see that, that I have a harsh view of my brother or sister. Could it be that the root of envy could be we already have a harsh view that gets triggered when something triggers it? Envy. Envideo. To look on with enmity. Since it can be understood how envy can affect our view of others, it can also be seen that a harsh view of others can make us vulnerable to being envious. Could it be that an unloving view of others can affect the way we see them? Could it be that an inaccurate view of ourselves and others can make us vulnerable to envy? Inaccurate view of others. You know, many times we trust our view too much. Could it be that we place too much value on our limited view? Some months back, somebody rear-ended our car. And for months, my wife and I felt like we knew who it was. I mean, we felt that we knew who did it. We still don't know who did it, but we know that our feelings were unjust and unaccounted for. Who knows circumstantial evidence really shouldn't be used in court? I mean, they're putting the people away left and right these days based on circumstantial evidence. And thank God for DNA, some people are getting discovered to be innocent. But based on four circumstances that I perceived, 
I triangulated the case and determined who did it. I felt like, number one, I knew where it happened. No, I didn't know where it happened. I only know where we discovered it. And where we discovered it may not have been where it happened. And I felt like I knew who did it because that person was on, or those persons, I'll, I'll mess with the gender and the number of people involved, was on the premises where it was discovered that day it happened, and then the person wasn't seen for a while. And so it was determined that person was there, and a couple other things involving that person, we thought, it's got to be that person. Why, why no apology? Why, why no, you know? Recently, I was at a place of business, and this person came walking in. I greeted, and I thought, wow, just how stone cold can you be? Just, you know, like nothing ever happened. I went outside and noticed this person's vehicle, the suspected vehicle, was parked right behind our car. (laughs) So those persons were nowhere around. They could see what I was doing, so I just walked back. Here's the front bumper here. Here's the rear bumper here. I'll look at our bumper. I'll look at their bumper. And I think, okay, their bumper could have done this damage to our bumper, but the gold paint's been scraped off. But there is no way that bumper could have done the damage to our trunk lid. And then it hit me. The person's totally innocent. I place too much value on my view of things. Thank God for the wisdom, it comes with 55 years, of keeping my mouth shut when I don't know absolutely sure. No, the person's not a member here, so. I'm not giving any more tidbits of information. Or any triangulating going on in the house. So if you rear-ended our car, we are totally in the dark. You just got off scot-free. But you know what? If you can't sleep at night because of that, you need to come and let's reconcile. Our view can be skewed. Jesus said in Matthew 6, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. Now, he's teaching a principle, a spiritual principle. It's your outlook, your perception, your view. If it's good, you're filled with light. But if it's bad, your whole body is full of darkness. And when it came to our car, there was darkness in our heart. But you know what? Darkness often doesn't look like darkness. It can look like light in the spiritual matter. Jesus went on to say, if therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? We must be careful that the light that we have is really light because Satan himself can appear as an angel of Could it be that we place too much value on our limited view? This is Christian Snow at the beach in Haiti. Summer, our daughter, took these pictures. Looks like he's holding the sun, doesn't it? Optical illusion, right? This is Ingvald Snow. Looks like she's bouncing the sun. 
beautiful sunsets, the closer you get to the equator. The shorter the twilight, but the more glorious the sunset. Watch this. You should look under the hood to find out why he's selling the car for only twelve dollars. seat I'm always hearing about. Get it through your thick skull, you're not getting a raise. I'll have an order of grandpa. Well done, please. key to overcoming envy is to determine to love people and to have a loving view of people. Because what you're going to see from people, because people are sinners, you're going to see a lot of reasons not to love them. But if we determine to have a loving view of people, I mean, what healthy person that brings a child into the world doesn't have a loving view of that child? a positive view of that child's future. We need to be that way with one another. Amen? The remedy to the envy problem is genuine love. If you love someone, you want the best for them, right? So that when the best happens to them, your expectation is fulfilled. You know, the scriptures tell us to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. And many times in the church, we are really good at the weeping with those who weep. But rejoicing with those who rejoice, it's kind of hard. And if you read the book of Acts, read it again without looking for certain things. Just read it and as though you were alive at the time. There is riots and revivals happening at the same time. While they're making funeral plans... For John's brother James, minus his head, you know, what are we going to do with the body? Do the open casket or closed casket? The same time they're rejoicing because Peter escaped Herod's sword. Angels delivered him, but not James. They're weeping with those who weep and rejoicing with those who rejoice at the same time. We've got to learn to do that. So the remedy to the envy problem is genuine love, really wanting the best for one another, and a new vision, a vision of life that looks for good for, not just in, looks for the good in others, but also looks for good for others. So when somebody gets a raise and you haven't had one in 10 years, you rejoice, man, you deserve it. Jesus died for you and made you worthy. Hallelujah. What about me? Love others as you love yourself. In the grand scope of things, God's got it all under control. We're all going to go through hard times. And if we live long enough, we're all going to lose loved ones to death. The Bible acknowledges the reality of death. And we're all going to experience the joy of birth. 
Rain falls on the just and the unjust. You know, David was tempted to envy one time. He said, why did the wicked prosper? And then one day I went to the house of the Lord and remembered, I'm going to heaven and they're not. People need our mercy. Amen? Somebody needs to go and minister life to Brother Madoff, who made off with lots of people's cash. Nobody's envying him now, are they? Love does not envy because it looks for the best in others. It just does. If it doesn't, it's not love. We don't look for the best in everybody. We need to repent because we're not walking in love. Love does not envy because it looks out for the best for others, in others, and for others. What are you looking for? You're looking for the best? What are we looking for? What am I looking for? I love to listen to Prairie Home Companion. Garrison Keeler is a great storyteller. It's not a good program unless he tells stories from Lake Wobegon, which is a community, imaginary community, that excels in mediocrity. Lake Wobegon, where all the women are strong, men are good-looking, and the children are above average. That's not the kingdom of God. We should be a cheerleader for one another, cheering one another on. You've got what it takes. You can do it. Marietta shared her word this morning, and before this morning she made up a bar graph that if our sins were recorded on a sheet of paper, filled it up every minute of our life by the time we reached a hundred years of age, from conception to death, it would fill up enough pages to go a little over three miles. God's love far surpasses that. And if you envy people because they're not perfect, you are maximizing sin way bigger than it is. And we're not minimizing sin today. We are, we are simply seen for what it is in the light of the matchless love of God. Many times we are tempted to envy because we feel someone's not worthy. Lord, I pray that you touch our hearts right now. Convict us, Lord, where we are not looking favorably upon one another. Where we're not looking for the best in one another. Where we're not looking for the best for one another. Show us, Lord, what are we looking for? Lord, I know these are things that come from the way we were programmed as children. But Lord, help us to become people of blessing, blessers who bless one another, who look for the best in others and the best for others, Lord. In Jesus' name, open our eyes, the eyes of our heart. We want to see you and we want to see one another in the light of you. In Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for those of us that have been blinded by our view, and yet we thought we see perfectly, and yet we're so blind because we place so much value on our limited view. Lord, speak to our hearts today. Cause us not to forget this word, but to hold on to it and to begin to see things from a godly point of view. Forgive us, Lord, for ungodly thinking, ungodly seeing, ungodly feelings, ungodly tastes and and dislikes and 
all that other prejudice stuff, Lord, that we bring with us. Renew our minds, renew our lives, and renew our hearts. Make us like you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. And we stand. And as you stand, speak blessing over one another before you leave. Say, I want God's best in your life. Can we do that? I see God's best in you. You've got what it takes. And I want God's best for you as well. Amen. Hallelujah. In fact, before you go, ask, ask one another, can I pray with you about something? Find someone you don't know and introduce yourself to them and say, hey, can I pray with you? And pray for blessings so that when the answer comes, you rejoice. A real remedy to the envy thing is for us just to pray for one another all the time. Run through the, the directory and pray blessings one another. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you His peace. And may you walk free of envy, envy beneath your feet for the rest of your life. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. Go get them, Tigers. i